you know, this is what you put all this work in for is to, to get out here and have a chance to play in the playoffs. And uh, obviously playing at home too is a, is a bonus for us playing in front of our home fans. And so everybody's looking forward to it. 702 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. That voice you just heard, BC Lions head coach Rick Campbell talking about the big game this Sunday. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs. They are hosting a CFL playoff game for the first time in 2016, since 2016 and just the second time in the last 10 years. It's a big deal. Joining us now to talk about that game and more, as mentioned, the head coach of the BC Lions, Rick Campbell, here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Rick. How are you? Good morning. How are you guys? Uh, we're good, thanks, and thanks for taking the time to do this. Uh, I just wanted to ask yeah. first and foremost about the excitement level for Sunday. So I mentioned it's been a while since BC Place has hosted a CFL playoff game. Uh, I've read our articles already that say they're going to ex- expect a fan base and a crowd of upwards of 30,000. Sarah McLaughlin is going to sing the national anthem. So it's not just a game. Uh, this is an event. And how excited are you and the coaching staff and the players about this big event on Sunday? We're, we're totally excited. Uh, number one, just the hard work you put in to, to get into the playoffs and have a chance to, to do some damage in the playoffs. And then I, I really appreciated our fans all year. I thought they've been great. They've been loud when they needed to be loud when the other team's on offense, all those things. So I'm happy for the whole BC Lions community that we get to do this one more time at home. And uh, we're looking forward to it. I think it makes a big difference. I've been on the opposition playing playoff games at BC place when it's loud and it's really hard to play on offense when it's when you can't hear and all those things so we're hoping to take advantage of it so obviously uh everyone is talking about Nathan Rourke uh he made his return against Winnipeg a few days ago uh he's been reportedly taking first team reps at practice um first of all how do you think his return to action went against uh the Blue Bombers it's it's been an amazing process to watch. So he's put in a ton of work to to work to get back to be available for the playoffs. Last week was kind of a bonus. We we wanted to see if we could get him in a regular season game just to get the feel of game speed again and get hit and do all those things, which all those things happened last week. And I I think it's just another step forward for him physically and also just confidence wise that he realizes that that he can do it and and be good to go and. We practiced yesterday, and he looks. He, he keeps looking more and more like himself, just the way he moves around and and all the things he does. So, uh, we're we're hoping for good things the rest of this week, which we anticipate will happen, and it'll be fun to see him play on Sunday. So, I'm I'm really excited for Sunday's game. I'm really excited to see Nathan Rourke in action. And yet, I just want to go back a few months to when. Nathan Rourke was injured and we're all learning about this injury called a Liz Frank injury. And we were, you know, like kind of jokingly going through the, the history of the injury, who it was named after, was it some old French doctor or something like that? Um, right. And right. one of the, yeah. one of the, one of the things that we learned was like, this is not an injury that you should rush back into uh, because yeah. it can have long-term consequences. Can you maybe just take the listeners and the fans through, um, the the work that you've done with doctors because listen Nathan Rourke is a young guy he's got a bright future ahead of himself and I don't think anyone wants to see him put in a situation um, even though you know kind of like we want to see him play but we don't want to see him risk his career either 
Right. Yeah. Well, you're right. I've learned more about this injury too than I than I ever knew the last few months. That's why I said it's been quite an interesting process to learn about. Not to get into medical details because I'm not a doctor, but he had a Liz Frank sprain. I know there's a difference between that and a and a break, and there's all there's all different levels to it. I will tell you that 100% our doctors or us would not put him in a situation to risk himself for the long-term future. And he wouldn't either. That was never the goal. It was just that there was a path forward where he could get back to, to playing in the playoffs this year. It wasn't guaranteed, but it was very realistic. And that if steps were followed and he wasn't rushed back and that he took these, our, our doctors use the term ramp up and that he went through all these steps to, to keep going. And, um, they, you know, we, we will not, we would not put him at risk for his, uh, his future. That doesn't make sense for, for, for anybody involved. So, um, I appreciate our doctors. They've been very thorough. It was amazing when the injury happened, they talked to people all over North America that, you know, people that deal with all the major sports leagues, NBA, NFL, you know, whatever it is. So a lot of people are involved in making sure this was all done the right way. And it's been fun to just see, well, it's fun to see him back out there because I've just seen the hard work that's been put in number one by Nathan, of course, first, and then just our doctors and seeing the whole process play out. And it's uh, the fun part is obviously to see it in action where, you know, they said, this is what can happen and it's, and it's happening. So um, obviously I'm glad that it is. Do we expect uh, Nathan to have his full complement of receivers or are there still some things that you're a little bit worried about the likes of Brian Burnham? Uh, uh, Lucky, Lucky Whitehead's the one question mark. So okay. we're, uh, we're resting him these two days. He's just had this chronic ankle thing. Um, that's just kind of been going on as the weeks have gone by and he just aggravates it. And so we're going to see if he can go tomorrow and then make a decision from there. Uh, Burnham's good to go. He practiced yesterday and looks like Brian Burnham. So that's good news. So, um, other than lucky, we expect the the crew, the crew to be back that people were used to, uh, you know, that we're playing with Nathan for the whole first part of the season. Let's turn our attention to uh, your opponent, the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, you know, the CFL is such a unique league that <laughs> this is the fourth time you're going to see the Stamps, uh, you know, three times during the regular season and now in the playoffs. Um does it get into a bit of a chess match in terms of game planning, or am I maybe overthinking that and you just you go out and play your game? It, it, there's, no, there's some, obviously, strategy involved, uh, but it's going to come down to who plays better, um, you know, less mistakes and who, who plays the game better. And there, we're really close uh, as, as far as that team goes. And I told our guys, we, we talked about the second time we played in Calgary, about the tiebreaker thing, about what a big deal it was because we played them three times. And for our guys to go beat them twice in Calgary was a big, big accomplishment. And it, um, you know, I'm proud of our players because it paid off and it means we get to play a game at home. Um, but I, we expect a really tough game. That's how it is with Calgary. Um, I know their coaches really well. They've, you know, they know what they're doing. They've been in the CFL a long time. And so, um, you know, we expect a really good game. So it's safe to say that the Calgary Stampeders may be not the, the favorite group of people among your players. I know there's some history between the teams. That's what happens when you play 
three times during the season. That's what happens when you play really close, uh, entertaining games, as were the case of the the first two games. Um, your players are going to be excited. Uh, there's going to be a big crowd. How do you try and channel that emotion while also remembering, like, you got to stay disciplined for this, and sometimes you can be too emotional? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. It is the It gets ramped up. Uh, we always talk about a healthy amount of stress and anxiety. You know, people think of stress and anxiety as a bad thing, but there's a healthy level you can operate with, and it, uh, you know, gets you ready to play. I think both teams have a very healthy respect for each other. Um, so, and, and when you're in the playoffs, you know, the focus is on winning. And so, um, I expect there to be, I, I expect it to be pretty businesslike as far as people, uh, wanting to do things within the rules to, to try to win the game. And, uh, you know, we'll go from there, but it is exciting. It's, a uh, I'm playing these guys, you know, playing a team that's competitive and, uh, uh, somewhat of a rival and having a big crowd, all those things are good things for us. We're speaking to Rick Campbell here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Rick, in addition to being the head coach of the BC Lions, you also serve as the club's co-general manager. So in that executive role, I got to ask you, what's it been like working with the owner, Amar Doman, this year? Amazing. It's just, a, it's been amazing. Um, I'm, I'm new to the BC Lions. This is my second year as far as actively coaching. I was here during the pandemic, but just seeing the energy he brought, um, seeing the people that have been with the Lions, whoever it is on the business side or marketing or um, football ops, just seeing the new energy that he brought in. And he's so passionate about the whole thing. And I really appreciate that he's he's local. So he, he truly cares about um, the Vancouver area and all of BC. And you can see that he's fully invested and um, can't, can't say enough about what a positive impact he's had. And um, I appreciate, he's one of those guys that, you know, tell me, tell me things we can do. Don't tell me things we can't do. Right. And he's, he's always had that attitude and, uh, I sure appreciate, uh, sure appreciate him and everything that he's done and things like this happening on, uh, that's going to happen on Sunday or as, uh, he's a big part of it, of course. Uh, it is the Lions. It is the Stamps. It is the opening round of the CFL playoffs at BC Place. First time Canadian Football League playoff action has been at BC Place since 2016. They are expecting crowds of upwards of 30,000. You can still get tickets. The Upper Bowl is going to be opened. Sarah McLaughlin's going to be singing the national anthem. Bottom line, it's going to be a really cool day. Rick, good luck on Sunday. Go get a win, and hopefully we can do this and preview the West Final the week following. That would be awesome. Have a good morning. Thanks. Yeah, you too. Thanks. That's Rick Campbell, the head coach and co-GM of the BC Lions here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, So the Vancouver Canucks play tonight against the Anaheim Ducks. Um, It's Kevin BX's retirement ceremony. I don't know which one is top billing at this point, the hockey game or BX's retirement ceremony. BX's retirement. There are... (laughs) There are legitimate questions to be asked ahead of this game, like the type of questions that we'd always ask, like, you know, should Spencer Martin start tonight? Uh, should Jack Rathbone play? Uh, we can talk about those things with Brendan Batchelor at 8 o'clock, but just for a few minutes here, I want to talk about the juxtaposition of Bieksa getting honored during one of the worst starts in franchise history because I don't really think that can be ignored. Sure. Uh, I think it's safe to say that Bieksa was or 
was the type of player that Canucks fans would love to see on this team right now. Just going through all the good things about him. He was drafted and developed by the team. A fifth round draft pick. So nothing was gifted to this guy. He was tough. He backed up his words with his fists when necessary. He came up big in the big moments, scoring the goal that sent the Canucks to the Stanley Cup final. He was proud as hell to be a Canuck. Uh, He was a good person. And he was a good person without being a goody two-shoes. Does that make sense? Like He he wasn't too good. No, he was. He was. He was good, but he didn't need to let everyone know that he was this good person. Uh, He was very funny. But also super competitive. Like he, he, there's no doubt he had a good sense of humor. But he wasn't. He took his job seriously, and he was a good teammate. Uh, looking back, listen, he wasn't a perfect player by any means. It was he really what he wasn't what you'd call an elite defenseman, but he was a legit top four guy who played in all situations. He killed penalties. He got power play time. He did all the things that you need to do to be a successful defenseman. He blocked shots. He hit guys. He won battles along the boards. He engaged. He wanted to battle. And as mentioned, he dropped the gloves when necessary. The Canucks defense today is just barely a shadow of that unit that Bieksa played on. Harken back to those days. Typically, Bieksa would pair with Hamhuis. Edler was with Erhoff, and that left... Sammy Sallow is an extra when everyone was healthy, which granted that was rare. Everyone was healthy, but that's called depth. <laughs> and you, you look at the way the, uh, the, that group was built. It wasn't any one way. BX and Edler were draft picks. Erhoff and Sallow were acquired in really savvy trades where not all that much was given up with all due respect to, you know, Peter Schaefer, uh, Ham Hughes, was an unrestricted free agent signing who left money on the table to join a contender and play close to home. Remember that time when people would take less money Hmm. to come to the Vancouver Canucks. That's what contender, they have that advantage where people want to play for a winner. Uh, We already mentioned this on the show a little bit, but just to reiterate, because we've talked about the mix of the current players Mm -hmm. on this Canucks team, like, if you look at that back end that, that Bieksa was part of, there were, there were all these complementary pieces. Sure. You had puck-moving ability. You had def- defensive ability. You had physicality. There wasn't one elite defenseman back there. Like There was no one that was getting you know Norris Trophy votes or Norris Trophy consideration. But this is the key, guys. They all provided value for what they were being paid, how much they took up against the cap. They were all, they were all positive pieces for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, in terms of a blue line construction, it was great. It wasn't the, it wasn't the standard. Remember, most teams go with it. You got your big number one guy, and then everything else falls in line with that. But it was a well – the words to use are well and constructed. It was very well constructed. Everything clicked. Everything worked. Everything made sense. And then you brought up the juxtaposition – we're going to have arguments tonight about which eight or six of the eight guys available are going to be thrown into this jumble where nothing really matches or makes sense. OEL and Myers play together 
for reasons unbeknownst, other than that's what you kind of have to do. Like, it's not like the pairing is great. It's other, I don't know. It certainly what, wasn't great the other night. Yeah, I don't know what the correlation is. Like, you got a tall guy and you got a short guy. Like, I don't know what the, the explanation Lefty, is. Lefty, righty. Yeah. They're both paid a lot. Put them together. And then. With the old video game, you pick the, sh- the small, the big, and the. Yeah, you just, you, you match them up. Yeah, get right? the right combo. And then Hughes and Shen is sort of a marriage of kind of convenience where one guy is slow and stays at home and the other guy likes to skate around. But it's not. It's not a cohesive unit, and it, now they've got the added element of it's going to change repeatedly because they have eight guys for six spots, and then assuming Dermott and maybe Pullman, I don't know, get healthy, then it becomes nine. Now, here's the thing. Um, what happened in 2011, a lot, of th- a lot of luck has to go your way too, and a lot of things have to happen that are out of your control. As a manage, management group and a coach, all you can really do is put the guys together and then tell them what their roles are and how you want them to execute and then say, go. Go out into the world, young men, be NHL-capable NHL defensemen. Um, but this roster construction, you would never say that this is the way to do it. The Canucks in 2011, there was proof of concept. You're like, you can build a Stanley Cup finalist <laughs> caliber defense without having a clear-cut number one and with a bunch of good, not greats. That's what they did in 94, too. But with with this, I think the one thing you can say is, I've never looked at how this defense has been built and said this is a good way to go about it. This is a good blueprint. This is a good road plan, roadmap, whatever. It's just this sort of mismatch of guys that have been available in free agency or guys that are in a middling sort of trade or, as Drance kind of coined it, a bunch of bottom pair guys around the ages of 24 to 27 that are probably are with Aris players. Let's talk about the one guy that's really under the gun right now on the back end, and that's Oliver ekman Larson. Look how he was acquired. Right. It wasn't like the Canucks were dying to get Oliver ekman Larson. They were dying to get rid of some bad contracts, some bad short-term contracts. So they were willing to take a long-term gamble on Oliver ekman Larson. Now, sure, they didn't. I don't think Jim Benning like didn't like Oliver Ekman Larson. I think he thought he was a capable defenseman because Oliver Ekman Larson has been a capable defenseman in the NHL. In fact, at one time he was considered an elite defenseman in the NHL. That is no longer the case. Yeah, it was just a long time ago. And the risk that was taken on when uh, the Canucks made that trade, you know, the gain was short term. The risk was long term. And frankly, they didn't even get the gain. They didn't even get the short-term gain because they missed the playoffs despite discarding the contracts of Beagle and Roussel and I think I'm forgetting one more. Oh, Erickson. Yeah, Louis. I have a question. The big one. I have a question for you. Would Bruce Boudreaux ever consider scratching, healthy scratching, not physically scratching, healthy scratching Oliver Ekman Larson? I wondered that about tonight's game. I really did. Look, look at some of the, the considerations that you've got right now on the back end. Does the organization want Jack Rathbone to get an opportunity? If they do, maybe scratching Oliver ekman Larson is the way to do that. I don't know. Because I, I, I think it was a mistake to take Burroughs out after the way he played on Friday against the Penguins, but I understand why he did come out. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to bring, you want to obviously give Ethan Bear an opportunity. You want to give Riley Stillman an opportunity. He's new to the club. But 
they've got too many bodies now. Yes, we've talked about this. Right? And if again, if guys get healthy, they're going to have even more bodies that are clamoring to get in the lineup. Like, if you had to pick a six tonight on Kevin BX tonight, one of the greatest defensemen in franchise history, and you're like, now, fill out your lineup card. Who are the six going in tonight? It's weird because you've actually got really tough decisions, but you're not enamored with any of them. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. I have a tough decision because I have to play six of these guys. And this is meant as, yeah, it's kind of a shot, throwing some shade, but that's the reality of this blue line right now. And we've had this conversation dating way back to the summer when we kept sitting there on the opening days of free agency and the subsequent days and poking the Canucks with a stick. Do something on the defense. Do something. Scratch both OEL and Myers, and I'm not being facetious. I mean, like, seriously, just try it it for a game. See what happens. There are a lot of permutations. I know the the fans don't... uh, don't make the lineup, and, I, and the you know the fans don't have to deal with the uh, implications in the room or whatever of scratching veteran players, and then there can be implications to that. But right now, if the fans were making the lineup, OEL wouldn't be playing, and Tyler Myers wouldn't be playing. Yeah, take them both out just for a game, see what happens. Well, how, how could it get worse? You, yeah, <laughs> you do you you do bring up a very good point, albeit flip, like you're being flippant. But I get what I'm you're curious saying. to see. I, what I would don't happen. think he's being flippant. Well, <laughs> I think you would do it. I do. Genu- I do genuinely want to see what would happen. Right, Coach Andy would do it. Yes, uh, just co- for one game. I wouldn't say do it long term, but just see what happens. Shake it up a bit. Can the players call you a dog? Sure, I love it. Oh, that's awesome. You're a players coach. I'm yes, learning more exactly. about Coach Andy. Yeah. No, but it's it's a valid thing to bring up because if you're going to have, let's say eight right now, eight. NHL caliber defenseman. I'm using that term loosely, but for the purpose of this argument, just go along with me. If you have eight NHL caliber defensemen and you are the worst team in the NHL, there's nothing suggesting that any of them deserve to be in the lineup over another guy. Maybe Hughes is the exception, but outside of that, what have any of them shown you over the first 10 games of the season that suggest that they deserve to be every night players when you have other capable NHL options behind them? I mean, Boudreaux's tried everything else. He's the coach of the worst team in the NHL by record, but also maybe by spirit. And he's going without a contract. His job is probably on the line. Why would you not pull out all the stops and at least say, hey, before I lost my job, I tried everything I could to get this team going. Do you know what OEL's total salary is this season? Like, we all know his cap hit. Do you know what his total salary is this season? Uh, 13 million? I don't even know. 10 and a half. That's a lot of money. 10 and a half million dollars. That's a lot of money. And most people right now would, I imagine, sign up to healthy scratch him tonight. He's got some time left on this contract. I know he does, and this it's, makes it tough, but that's a management problem. You know, and, and in a weird way, Boudreaux kind of has the freedom and the the give-no-care attitude to do these sorts of things. I mean, what's he going to lose? More games? Maybe. But he could also win a couple. Other other guys have made these tough decisions with highly paid former star players before in other markets. Mm -hmm. It sucks. You're going to get a lot of heat. You throw a lot of heat on your ownership and management. There needs to be heat. There needs to be heat. There there needs to be, you know, I know Connor Garland got, healthy scratched one night okay mm-hmm. and, and we did see some implications from that right like there was I, I don't know if it was coincidence that the reports about the dressing room came out right after that could have been I know some people theorized that but this group needs to be shaken up mm-hmm. it it's happened before 
in other markets with other players who have big, long, onerous contracts and aren't playing up to that dollar sign. And I don't know if it's going to fix everything for this team. I doubt that it will because this team feels like it has a lot of issues. But at this stage of the game, given how dire things are, you should be willing to try pretty much anything. Pretty much anything. And remember, a healthy scratch isn't a death knell in a lot of places. I think the Sabres healthy scratch Jeff Skinner. And he and were able to bring him back even though they knew that they were tied to him for an awfully long time. Just as an example. It sends a message, right? It sends a message that there's a standard for everyone, regardless of what your contractual obligation is. And also that you're showing the group, we're going to do everything and we're going to un- uncover or turn over every stone to try and get better and get wins. Those are good messages. They're tough. They're tough to relay, but they're good messages. Uh, coming up on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, more hockey talk to come. We'll talk Canucks with David Amber, but we can also get into a night on the calendar in which there are 13, yeah, 13 NHL games and a lot of really good ones too. Uh, starting early in the Eastern Conference, Carolina-Tampa Bay, which is a great matchup. The Bruins, the best team in the NHL right now, take on the Rangers in an original six clash. That's a great game. And then some ones you're going to want to pay attention to locally, the Nashville Predators, Saturday's opponent. They're in Calgary to take on the Flames. And the red-hot New Jersey Devils, who just beat the Canucks the other night, they're in Edmonton to take on Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and the Oilers. So lots of good games tonight. Lots to talk about. We'll talk about it with David Amber from Sportsnet. That's coming up next on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are also brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Before we get to David Amber, NHL host on Sportsnet, I need to tell you about a giveaway. We're giving away stuff like every day this week on the Halford and Bruff Show. That's how much we love the listeners. Of course, we are giving you Canucks tickets, so maybe we don't love you that much. But still, it's free. Am I right? They're free. They don't cost anything. All you have to do. Just your time. Just your time and effort. Uh, We're giving away a pair of tickets. Saturday's game. At home, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena against the Nashville Predators. Giving away a pair of tickets. That's two tickets. All you got to do is text to what we learned. Oh, what did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? Let us know. Hashtag it WWL. Text it to 650-650. That is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And put a ticket emoji on your text. You will be entered into the grand prize draw for a pair of tickets to go see the Canucks and Preds on Saturday, Rogers Arena, 7 o'clock. Hockey Night in Canada, big night. Everyone knows the details there. I'm not forcing people to go either. You can sell them or try. No, Greg, yeah. that is officially saying the quiet part out loud. Why must you do that? You'd go to the game and enjoy it, just like someone will tonight. We had a winner for tonight's game, right? It's Kevin Bieksa tonight. We're going to honor one of the better defensemen, one of the best defensemen, I'll say, in, in uh, franchise history. 
He's also a co-worker of our next guest. Joining us now from Sportsnet, David Amber here on the Halford & Breff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, David. How are you? Doing well, guys. Yeah, it's going to be fun tonight. I was just, uh, I texted Kevin yesterday to congratulate him and wish I could be there to sort of witness the festivities. I think it's going to be a really fun night tonight. So we're going, I mean, we spent a good chunk of today celebrating Bieksa, the player, and what he meant to the organization and kind of juxtaposing that with the current squad. But I'll put that on the back burner for now because you've got to know Bieksa in an entirely different role as he broke into media and became a a very popular pundit in a short amount of time. And you got to watch it all sort of develop at Sportsnet. What's that been like? What has that experience been like watching him have this second career as a, I'll say, a really bright and really interesting media personality? Okay, well, first I got to caution him. Don't, don't let, let's not blow this guy's ego up too much. All right. He doesn't <laughs> okay, okay, so much okay. space there. Too late. Uh, at this point. So uh, we got to keep him grounded. But, but honestly, Kevin, um, I didn't know. I mean, obviously I knew about Kevin the player, but I didn't really know that much. I know he's a bit of a jokester, but then you get to meet him and he's a wonderful guy, really funny. And he's, uh, <laughs> You know, he keeps us on our toes because he's constantly, you know, he is that prankster. And not just like he's going to do silly things to you, but it's more it's more what he's going to say at any given time. Um, it's funny. It's rare that a guy is as disliked as a player, <laughs> certainly by the opponents, uh, as a guy like Kevin. He walks into to this type of platform and is so, you know, universally liked and respected uh, as a broadcaster. And I have to say, he's a bit of a natural. It's funny because... You know, it's not easy. We, we get a lot of players come through and, you know, it's just understanding the nuances of what we're doing um, and being able to give the analysis that he gives. He does it in such a fun, candid way. And I think it's just really has made him so um, endearing and, and he's disarmed the, the public in a way. Right. And I think it's because he's so honest, like Corey Perry's one of his good buddies. He's always taken the piss out of Corey Perry on our shows. Right. And I think it's just, He's not afraid to do that, right? And he calls out guys when they have to be called out, and he certainly gives praise to players when they deserve it. And I think there's just a certain sincerity that our viewers love with him. Uh, But a really good guy, really affable, really funny, and one hell of a hockey player, and it's really cool that he's getting his, you know, they're acknowledging that tonight because we don't see guys cut from the cloth of Kevin Bieksa in today's NHL nearly as often. And they made the game better. They made it more fun, more physical, um, you know, super competitive, and and we we miss some of that in today's NHL. Uh, David, what do you think about this Canucks start? Because correct me if I'm wrong, you were pretty optimistic about the Canucks' chances this season, and nobody, you know, like we, we talked about this team heading into the season. Like you got talent certainly up front. You got a number one defenseman. You got pretty good goalie in Thatcher Demko. Hasn't worked. Hasn't even come close to working, though. Well, the bad news, I guess, is they've gotten off to a horrible start. Um, the good news is they're the leaders in the clubhouse for the Connor Bedard sweepstakes at this point. So there is that. If you're going to be bad, you might as well be really, really, really bad. And yeah. at least you uh, might pick up a franchise player. But in all seriousness, I was I was pretty hot on the Canucks uh, last year, leading into last season, and then they got off to that horrible start and I kind of kept my optimism there and they had that nice Bruce there it is run and and I just look at the parts on this team and I say man like they just they have so many good parts I, I was less hot on them coming into this season I still really like the team but I, I just wondered about the blue line like everyone else I just sort of looked at the top teams 
in you know their division and in their conference and sort of said look at the blue lines when you look at colorado and you look at vegas and you look at calgary and then you know you look at the canucks blue line and there's it's, it's there's a far difference so i was a little bit lukewarm on the team this year mm-hmm. but i still like the individual parts i like the fact that Pedersen and and um you know hughes didn't have contract situations they were gonna have a full training camp and be ready to go um so i was i was incredibly you know disappointed like canuck nation uh, with the start I don't think the season is over. I think they have a lot of work to do, and I still like the team. Um, but I do think there's a lot of decisions to be made. And I do like the fact that, you know, they at least have been trying to do something with the blue line, you know, picking up Ethan Bear, and we know Riley Stillman was back and Hughes is back. Um, you know, this next stretch, I, I think five to ten games will sort of dictate what the team's going to do moving forward. And if, you know, if they go eight and two, it's going to look a lot different than if they go, you know, three and seven. And I think if you go three and seven, okay, the season's done. You're not digging yourself out of that type of hole. So, uh, I, you know, I think the next three to four weeks is sort of going to dictate how the team goes for the for the rest of the season. Hey, David, what do you make of the reports that the Ottawa Senators are for sale and Ryan Reynolds might be interested in buying them? <laughs> I love it, man. Like we got Jerry Brockheimer; he's doing his thing with uh, with Vegas and. Imagine if Ryan Reynolds was was the owner of. I, I think it would be amazing. First of all, I didn't know he had that much money. I mean, I know Deadpool's been popular, but wow! Um, if he has NHL franchise money, good on him. Uh, I think it would be really cool to have that kind of face to your franchise. And you know, I think he's also smart enough as a business person. He has enough business acumen to know he's not going to go there and, and interfere. I think he would go there and he'd hire people that know what they're doing. And it could be really, it could be really cool. It could be a really refreshing. Uh, new beginning for the Ottawa Senators in many respects. You never know uh, if these things, how valid they are, but usually when there's a bit of smoke, there is some fire. So um, I think it'd be really neat. And I know he's a Vancouver guy, so that would be pretty cool. I'm pretty sure he's a a Canucks guy, but imagine if, uh, and you know who else could be in on this? Let's say Michael Buble, who's a huge hockey fan, got in on this. You get Buble and Reynolds together owning the team and who knows? Maybe they relocated to uh, some other area near Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> We're speaking to David Amber from Sportsnet here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, David, I want to keep it in Toronto. And yes, everyone, you can yell at me, but we're going to do a few minutes of Leafs talk here. Only because right. it feels like every day there's another profound moment in this story of what has been a really weird and tumultuous start to the season. Yesterday, uh, it's the John Tortorella sticking up for Sheldon Keefe thing, which I kind of came out of left field, but I guess it makes sense in Torts's mind, and I can appreciate what he was trying to do. And then the Leafs go out against Tortorella's team, and they get a throwback night from John Tavares. He gets the hat trick. So all is good, all is well, at least for one night for in Toronto, but uh, this has been a roller coaster start to the season, to put it mildly, for the Leafs. Yeah, it's funny. Um, you know, it's been an inferno in, in Vancouver, but it's been there's been a three-alarmer since day one here in Toronto. And it's really just because the expectations are so incredibly high. And one thing, you know, I was on uh, a show yesterday and I was asked about the Leafs and I said, well, maybe part of the equation is, you know, maybe the expectations are too high. Like they had 115 points last year. It was the most in franchise history. Um, You know, they lost some key parts, whether it's Jack Campbell, Labushkin, you know, Jason Spezza, uh, you know, yes, they kept the core, but, you know, there's question marks surrounding this team. And, and quite frankly, they lost Jake Muzzin and, and we don't know when and, or if he's coming back. So, uh, you know, just like I brought up, there's some questions on the, on the Canucks blue line, the Leafs blue line, top to bottom, it, it has some question marks as well. Um, 
Sandine and Lilligren haven't really developed into the players that Leafs management had hoped they would. And maybe they still will because they're still quite young, but it just hasn't happened as quickly as, as anyone would have liked. And, um, and there's just so much pressure on the core four, like Tavares last night, to have the hat trick, to have success. The, the bottom six have not been producing offensively much at all this year. So, um, you know, maybe one question to throw out there is, is the team just not quite as good as it had been in the previous years? Like, goaltending is yep. okay, you know, and the defense is okay, and they have these great, you know, top-heavy forward lines, but maybe they're just more of a, a middle-of-the-road team, like a good team. Don't get me wrong, they're a playoff team, but maybe they're just not a Stanley Cup contending team, and maybe just people need to alter their expectations a little bit based on, you know, how the team is. So are they underperforming? I don't know. One, one thing I'll say is they haven't put together a consistent 60-minute game. They had one legitimate 60-minute game all year, and that was two Saturdays ago against Winnipeg, and every other game has been very uneven. So they've shown flashes, but they just haven't put – together a full game guys and and really it's been frustrating for a lot of Leaf fans watching so far this year yeah and my theory on this is that we haven't gone to this part of the analysis but I think it's going to ultimately ring true is uh, the conference in which the Leafs play is way better than a lot of people thought it might have been and they thought it was going to be pretty good coming in anyway so consider the east right now Boston's Mm -hmm. off to the best start in franchise history and that franchise has been around for a long time the Rangers Mm -hmm. have been good as expected Carolina Tampa Bay good as expected the interesting ones are the second and third place teams in the East, New Jersey and Buffalo, who we both saw come through Vancouver, and both of them looked really good. And I don't think it's a flash. I think it's, oh, these guys have kind of arrived now. And it's interesting because New Jersey's got a huge game tonight in Edmonton against Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Buffalo is now 7-3, and three, and they had that huge win over Pittsburgh last night where they came from behind and showed that they've got the kind of fi- firepower and perhaps more importantly, that really young talent that they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. So now we have to exist in a world where the Devils and the Sabres are maybe legitimate. Curious to get your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, you brought up a really good point. You wonder if there's a little bit of a changing of the guard, and it's too early to say that, but, you know, Pittsburgh has just been reeling, right? A sixth straight loss, and like Vancouver, I mean, they've now blown back-to-back two-goal leads. In fact, they had a three-goal lead on Boston. I mean, it's been shocking uh, what we've seen in Pittsburgh the last little stretch here. And certainly Washington, with all their injuries, you know, Pittsburgh and Washington were the class of the East for a decade, basically. Yeah. And maybe, maybe this is them sliding out, and and someone's got to slot in. And is that Buffalo? Is that New Jersey? Is it Detroit? You know, this Buffalo team is really surprising to me. I, I've liked a lot of what they've been doing, but I certainly didn't think this was the year they were going to actually kind of make that move. And I looked at their goaltending, and I said, forty-one-year-old Craig Anderson, and. You know, Eric uh, Comrie, who was good, certainly with the Jets, but, you know, didn't really have a great proven track record. And Comrie's been great, and Anderson's been good when he's been in there. Um, They, you know, they have got a bit of a blueprint right now. They're big up front, which is different than many teams in the East. You look at Tuck, and you look at Tage Thompson, and, you know, they have a lot of skill. And then their back end, when you have Power and Darlene as your two anchors, they're like, man, a lot of blue lines would love to have power in Darlene for the next 10 years like that's that Buffalo could be a legit team and and New Jersey you know what surprised me is they were screaming you know fire Lindy Ruff fire yeah. Lindy Ruff and then they've run off seven wins in eight games and they've done it through defense and just you know been stifling so I, I don't I, do I think both New Jersey and Buffalo are going to make the playoffs 
if I had to bet on that, if I'm, you know, if I'm in Vegas, am I putting money on that? No, I'm not. I, I think there might be room for one of them. I don't think they're both going to sustain this, but it's been really fun to see. And it just speaks to the, to the parody in the, in the NHL right now, guys, there's so many teams lumped in, in that middle group. And uh, you just need to go on a, you know, three, four game run and you kind of start to make a little bit of traction. So again, that's what keeps teams like Vancouver in the mix, right? As bad as it's been for Vancouver, you know, at the end of the day, they're right now four points out of a playoff spot. And, you know, listen, the math, you know, they got to climb past eight teams. I get that. But my point is every team is still lumped in. Um, but right now, uh, Buffalo, New Jersey look like two teams conceivably that, that are going to make some noise. They're certainly going to be a tougher opponent night tonight. And I can't wait to see. Uh, New Jersey does in uh, Edmonton against Connor McDavid and the gang tonight. Yeah, one of the 13 games on the schedule tonight. Another one, of course, is the Canucks and Ducks. 7 p.m. Rogers Arena. It is Kevin Bieksa night at Rogers Arena. Uh, it should be a fun evening, David. There's going to be a lot of hockey to consume. So with that, we'll let you go to go enjoy it. Uh, enjoy tonight. Have a good time. We'll talk again next week. Thanks, guys, for having me on. Yeah, enjoy the uh, night tonight. And if you see Kev out, tell him... Uh... You know, he better buy some rounds for you guys. You don't be uh, pulling out the wallet tonight. <laughs> Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Hey, we're going to get a free round out of Kevin BX. That's, I don't think uh, so. David Amber here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650 on a very busy evening ahead in the National Hockey League. The Canucks will honor Kevin Bieksa tonight uh, with a retirement ceremony. He signed a one-day contract with the Canucks. So Extend he could, him! He could retire as a member of the Vancouver Canucks, the franchise that clearly meant the most to him in the NHL despite his few seasons with the Anaheim Ducks. I know we've joked about this before, but if it's a one-game contract, couldn't we? Couldn't he technically play in the lineup tonight? Isn't, I, I, isn't he allowed to? I, I, I don't think it's a real contract, Andy. I, no? I doesn't he have to sign like a little... Isn't there some legality there where he signs a piece I, of paper? I, 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 I think it's like a big novelty check. Yeah, I don't... <laughs> I don't... I don't... Andy definitely tried to cash a giant check. <laughs> yeah, I, I have. I have. Uh, I want to read a text in. Um... It's from Chubarov Sock. Okay. Are, okay. We, are we getting... Are you sure you want to read it? Yeah, here? are we getting... Yeah, <laughs> I feel like if we go to Urban Dictionary, we're like, oh. Oh, that's what that is, oh. is it? Okay. So that's the sock part. Um, but I think it's a good text. Uh, the thing the Canucks are missing, or are also missing, is a character like Kevin BX in the room. Having a joker, but also a guy that holds you accountable keeps things loose so players aren't gripping their stick as much and he makes coming to the rink fun yeah but i would not disagree with that how many times have you seen the canucks look like an absolute absolutely miserable group of hockey players uh it is a well-known fact in the national hockey league that you can extend your career Years and years and years by being a good guy in the room. Mm -hmm. Every coach and every GM loves a good guy in the room. Loves a veteran guy that gets it. Who's the good guy in the room right now? Say what you will about Brandon Sutter, and I know a lot of people had issues with how much he was paid and, and his play on the ice. The guys loved Brandon Sutter. Sutsy. He got it. I remember how much they loved Tanev? Yeah. I will and never Markey. forget when they mm -hmm. were in the, the bubble and Tanev scored the OT winner against... Minnesota and how fired up the guys were that he was the one that did it. Not that they had won in overtime and were going on to the actual playoffs and got to move hotels and all that cool stuff. It was like they just won the cup. The celebration was incredible. Yeah, but it was because part of it, I guarantee you, 
Well, I know this for a fact. It's because it was Tanev. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a great guy to put the to get that very symbolic goal. For Who's that. the funny guy in the room right now? I'm just curious. Like, I'm not saying this is the difference between the Canucks being a a bad team versus a good team. Like, they need more funny guys per sixty. But who is the entertaining personality on the team oh, right have, now? I have no idea. Kuzmenko, the uh, new guy. Yeah, I don't know about that. Do they, well, have, he, do they have just like a makeshift one, like Skinner and the B Sharps? Like, you're the funny one. <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, yes I am. <laughs> uh, I want to play a th- some throwback audio. And, um, <laughs> you know, this text came in, but we were planning to play this audio anyway. Uh, let's harken back to the days of 2012. The Canucks are down in L.A. to play the Kings in the first round of the playoffs. And... A reporter down there thought that Kevin Bieksa the Kings in game four. They were trailing 3-1 in the series. They would go on to lose in five. But regardless, Kevin Bieksa still took the time to have fun with this reporter who thought he was Ryan Kessler here with Ryan Kessler, the Vancouver Canucks. Ryan, talk to me about the atmosphere in that barn out there tonight. What was it like playing in front of this crowd in Los Angeles? Well, it was awesome. You know, for me, I'm an American guy, and uh, growing up in Michigan, I I love playing in the States. So uh, I got a lot of family and friends here, and, I, you know, I won an Olympic medal for this country. Uh, I brought them a silver medal, so... Um, you know, I usually get some ovations here. Now you're going to be heading back to Vancouver for game five. The crowd up there, you know how people in Vancouver are. They're nuts about their hockey. They're insane about their hockey. If you guys lose in game five on that ice, how are you going to be able to walk around the streets of Vancouver? Yeah, but you know what? I'm, like I said, I'm an American and I like playing in the States. So, um, you know, the, the, the fans in Canada are great, but, you know, this is where the real hockey fans are in my opinion. So... Uh, I love the States, and uh, this will always be home for me. Now, the momentum, that's a big thing. Do you guys have the momentum back after winning this game now tonight, game four? Well, you know, like I said, the, the crowd was great here tonight. Uh, I can't say enough about playing in the States, and uh, it was a big win for us, and we're going to feed off this. We'll go back to Canada. I'm sure the crowd won't be as good there, but hopefully we can get back to here and where the real crowd is. Like I said, growing up in Michigan, uh, I love the States. How do you feel about Ohio State? Love the Buckeyes, yeah. Um, you know, the Bowling Green Falcons, I, I felt always kind of took it to us, but uh, you know, Ohio State, we're we're a good club. Um, you know, we're definitely top three schools in Ohio. You were 0 for 14 on the power play heading into this game. What was different about the power play tonight? Well, my my traffic in front of the net, I think, was huge. Uh, I planted myself in front of Quick, and uh, I don't think he could see a lot of pucks. So uh, the Twins were moving the puck around well, and. Uh, I was doing my job in front of the net, and, and then we got some goals. Hockey's big with nicknames. What's your nickname? Is it Kess? Is it Kesser? Is it, what, what's your nickname, Ryan? Guzzler. Guzzler? Guzzler. <laughs> it gets better with time. Guzzler. It really does. We're up against it for time. we got to go to break. When we come back, Brendan Batchelor as we talk more Canucks here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.